the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. I'm glad, uh, glad to have you with us. Hope you had a great weekend. James Blend is producing today's program. Sam Maupin is engineering. Today we're going to hear from Matt Berry, author of Winning the Hearts of Your Child, Nine Keys to Building a Positive Lifelong Relationship with Your Kids. We'll also take a look back at uh, the Nigerian girls who eight years ago had been kidnapped. Now there's also an urgent appeal from Ukrainian Christians, both war-torn areas, one for the the nation uh, the Ukrainians belong to and the other for the Christian faith that these girls belong to. We'll get into that later in the program. Well, happy National Pie Day. It takes place every year on March the 14th. It's a nod to the first three digits of the mathematical constant 3.14. Falling on Albert Einstein's birthday, Pie Day rather is celebrated by math fans all around the world often with pie to celebrate all things pie, P-I-E, to celebrate all things P-I. That's my favorite part of the whole thing is there's pie. 74% of students said that they're confident they know how to write the number for pie. Not so much when actually pressed to do so. 55.3% of students could identify the first five digits of pie. That's a pretty good record. Well, just for fun, when polled about their favorite pie flavor, students, again on pie day, uh, 22.7% chocolate was at the top of the list. 22.1% apple. Who would prefer chocolate over apple? I don't get that. Uh, Lemon meringue, 15.9%, one of my all-time favorites. Blueberry at 12.3%. Cherry at 8.4%, another of my favorites. Those who didn't care for pie, about 18.6%. By the way, the value of pie was first calculated when Archimedes of Syracuse, uh, Syracuse or Q's, uh, way back 2087 to 2012 B.C., one of the greatest mathematicians of the ancient world first made the uh, the calculation. So happy National Pie Day. Well, on a more serious note, inflation hit a 40-year high in February, and the worst is yet to come. The U.S. economy is barreling toward a recession, according to experts. The Consumer Price Index climbed 7.9% on an annual basis, according to data released last week by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, month over month. Inflation rose 0.8%. Gas, as you probably well know, jumped 6.6% in February and accounted for almost a third of the price hike. Food rose by 1%. The February data doesn't include Russia's war on Ukraine, which has accelerated the rise in gas prices but isn't ultimately the cause for them. As of Thursday, the U.S. national average hit a record high of $4.35 per gallon. That's the average. That means some's higher, some's lower. Um, Geltrude and company founder Dan Geltrude said that he thinks gas prices will hit $5 this month and that it could even go as high as $10 unless the administration expands domestic oil production, which it has vowed not to do. It would not surprise me, he said, so until the United States decides or this administration decides that we are going to pump more oil, it's not going to change. It's not. Fuel costs are going 
are just going to continue to rise. He said the U.S. is on track to enter a full-blown recession within a year. Russia asked China for military and economic aid following their invasion of Ukraine. It's been confirmed. The request for military assistance, which was first reported by the New York Times, has reportedly raised concerns among U.S. officials that China might interfere with efforts from Western nations to assist Ukrainian forces. Now, this, of course, would widen the war and the thing that people fear the most could possibly come upon us. One wrong step could mean a wider war. Despite the president's promise not to involve U.S. troops in a war between Russia and Ukraine, a miscalculation could force his hand. Well, considering whether uh, sanctions work, there's evidence that sanctions have worked to secure U.S. policy interests in the past. But experts are underwhelmed by the West's response to Russia. Jennifer Carnahan, a widow of the late uh, Representative Jim Hadagorn, uh, said Monday that she will run in a special election for her late husband's House seat. Americans are sounding the alarm. Residents in Dayton, Ohio, said that rising energy and food costs have forced them to cut back on both food and travel. And that travel might just mean coming and going to work. Gas prices are being downplayed. A former uh, Democrat senator downplayed record high gas prices under the current administration and dimiss- dismissed rather the idea that the public is blaming the president. Midterm elections may finally tell that tale. Senators say there should be no fear, saying the U.S. shouldn't fear World War III after Vladimir Putin's force, uh, forces displayed an impressive level of ineptness in Ukraine. Former President Barack Obama announced Sunday that he's tested positive for COVID-19. The former first lady, however, has not. Washington Post columnist Jennifer Rubin called voters stupid on Sunday for blaming President Biden's handling of rising gas prices. China's government warned any country supporting Taiwan militarily would face the worst consequences. And those two words in quotes. Commentators are being criticized for an Atlantic headline that warned that nuclear war, in addition to killing millions of people, would prove disastrous for climate change. And will the U.S. respond in Ukraine? Will it embolden China? Well, former Vice President Mike Pompeo warned on Sunday that Xi Jinping is watching how America is handling the situations abroad. Rand Paul points out that this week marks the two-year anniversary of the COVID lockdowns. I join the American people in mourning the lives lost to this virus, he went on to say. I also mourn those we lost to the crushing and overbearing lockdowns and mandates that were based on junk science. Mark Levin warned that if President Biden and the West don't take decisive actions to support Ukraine, Vladimir Putin will destroy former Soviet states, plural. In a Russian-Iran nexus, Senator Tom Cotton explained the connection between the Russian invasion of Ukraine and recent talks from President Biden to revive the Iran nuclear deal. As Russia continues their invasion into Ukraine, uh, the Biden administration has been trying to negotiate a new nuclear deal with Iran. Despite Biden's rhetoric of isolating Russia from the world community for its actions in Ukraine, the country is still a major player in Iran's nuclear talks. For the last year, Joe Biden has been essentially uh, relying on Vladimir Putin to be his lawyer at these negotiations, trying to deliver through Vladimir Putin a new nuclear agreement with Iran, which would be worse than even the terrible deal Barack Obama got in 2015. It would allow Iran to be a threshold nuclear state while giving them hundreds of billions of U.S. dollars to continue their reign of terror in the Middle East. Perhaps Joe Biden should stop negotiating with the world's worst state sponsor of terrorism and start holding them accountable. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later in the second hour, Matt Berry, Winning the Heart of Your Child, Nine Keys to Building a Positive Lifelong Relationship with Your Kids. We're taking a look at some of the day's news. David Marcus suggests that among the greatest lies of the COVID crisis and its competitive category, high on the list was it's not about politics. In a perfect storm, WNBA baller Brittany Griner's arrest in Russia comes at a turbulent time and leaves her with few options, according to her lawyer. She's not the only American being held there. There are others as well. Michelle Tafoya, she recently walked away from NBC's Sunday Night Football to try to be part of the solution and not part of the problem, end quote. Well, Iran fired missiles near the U.S. consulate in Iraq. From that story, Moran claimed responsibility Sunday for a missile barrage that struck near a sprawling U.S. consulate complex in the northern Iraqi city of Erbil, saying it was retaliation for an Israeli strike in Syria that killed two members of its Revolutionary Guard earlier this week. Uh, no injuries were reported in Sunday's attack on the uh, city of Erbil, which marked a significant escalation between the U.S. and Iran, currently in the process of negotiating a nuclear deal with Vladimir Putin and the Russians as the prime negotiator. You try to make that work in your mind. But it's okay, the Biden administration tells us, because the consulate wasn't the target of the attack. It's okay. Ariel Davidson says the largest state sponsor of terror can fire missiles at a U.S. consulate without consequences, and the U.S. State Department will run cover for the terrorists. This is all to save a deal that serves only the egos of D.C. foreign policy elite. Shameful. And from Katie Pavlich, White House wants us to believe that uh, they will hold Iran accountable for targeting a civilian residence as they continue to negotiate the Iran deal with plans to lift sanctions on leaders who murdered Americans and won't prevent Iran from getting a nuke. A joke if it weren't so serious. Finally, former ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley says it would be a completely it would be completely insane for the president to continue Uh, trying to make a deal with Iran after it attacked our consulate in Iraq with ballistic missiles. No talks, no concessions, no new Iran deal. And from another story in the Wall Street Journal, Iran missiles uh, attack shows the incongruity of the looming nuclear deal. Like the 2015 original agreement, the new one would do nothing to restrict Iran's support for regional terror groups. It includes no restrictions on Iran's missile program that is growing more sophisticated and dangerous. Iran also continues to support the Houthis in Yemen, who use missiles and drones to target civilian and commercial targets in Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. And Iran is helping Hezbollah make its missiles targeted at Israel more accurate. Well, the U.S. warns of a full-fledged NATO response if Russia strikes Poland. They were dangerously close earlier today from that story. If there is a military attack attack on NATO territory, it would cause the invocation of Article 5. And we would bring the full force of the NATO alliance to bear in responding to it. That's a quote from Mr. Sullivan in an interview Sunday on CBS News, Face the Nation. He was referring to the provision of the treaty that provides that if any NATO member is the victim of an armed attack, every other member will consider it to be an attack on all members. The Russian airstrike, which killed 35 people near the Polish border early Sunday, came one day after Moscow warned that warned the West rather that it uh, would consider arms deliveries to Ukraine as legitimate targets. 
From the Wall Street Journal editorial board, Mr. Putin is taking every advantage of President Biden's desire to avoid escalation at all costs. He hears Mr. Biden say his overriding goal is avoiding World War III, not stopping Mr. Putin in Ukraine. The Russian sees um, that his threats caused Mr. Biden, uh, Mr. Biden to back away from a plan to send Polish fighter jets to Ukraine, even if flown by Ukrainian pilots. His threats uh, on Sunday threats and Sunday's military strike are intended to stop NATO from continuing to send military aid to Ukraine. He is betting the U.S. will do nothing if he starts blowing up trucks coming across the Polish border. Well, Democrats revived airmarks to funnel millions to vulnerable Democrats. From the story, Mr. Biden's 2,741-page budget bill, which passed with bipartisan support last week, was the first in over a decade to include airmarks. The discretionary spending measures were long banned under Republican control of Congress, but came back last year under Democrats' unified control of the House and the Senate. And while Republicans also benefit from the budget's allotments, some of the biggest winners from the inclusion of the $8 billion in earmarks are Democrats facing tough reelection challenges this year. Senator Raphael Warnock, for instance, inserted earmarks worth roughly $95 million to fund pet projects in his home state of Georgia. He just happens to be up for re-election. The White House scrapped a plan to send trainers to Ukraine in December, we've now learned. In December of 2021, senior U.S. military officials told lawmakers that they wanted to send a few hundred additional special operations personnel to Ukraine to provide military advice and training on unconventional warfare. At the time, Russia had amassed roughly 100,000 troops on the border with Ukraine, and concerns were growing in Washington and in Europe about a broadening invasion. But White House officials had concerns about the deployment, and the troops were never sent, according to two people familiar with the two December briefings with lawmakers and congressional aides. They also said Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin planned to directly press President Joe Biden to approve the mission. A senior military official told House lawmakers that the White House was concerned that sending the troops would escalate the already tense situation with Russia, according to the two people. Well, escalation we now have, despite what we have or have not done. The simple response from Mark Thiessen, weakness. Reporters have been gunned down by Russian troops, including one, a U.S. citizen who previously worked for The New York Times. He was freelance from Senator Tom Cotton. And I reiterate to Vladimir Putin and his military leaders that the intentional targeting of innocent civilians, including reporters, is a war crime. Russia appears to be increasing their cruelty in attacks on civilians, according to Mediate. The Atlantic warns nuclear war could harm the climate. Of course, it would kill a couple of people, but it would harm the climate. It's difficult to imagine, but this news outlet is worried on top of killing tens of millions of people. Even a relatively minor exchange of nuclear weapons would wreck the the planet's climate in enormous and long-lasting ways. The story has been widely mocked. Speaker Pelosi says government spending reduces national debt. The Speaker of the House is saying the exact opposite of the facts. She said the same of inflation. Amazingly, the president tried to make the same point. You try that at home. It doesn't quite pencil out. Progressives to Biden just use executive orders to govern. Jazz Shaw explains during meetings of the House Black, Asian and Progressive caucuses should have been predictable. Democrat leaders from these groups took their case directly to the president, asking him to forget about legislative process and just start, well, firing off even more executive orders so they can have something, anything to show to their base as some sort of a win. End quote. 
According to a new poll, Democrat policies are pushing away Hispanic voters. The numbers were buried in the Wall Street Journal poll that found by nine percent points. Hispanic voters in the new poll said that they would back a Republican candidate for Congress over a Democrat. End quote. Now, this is a poll, not actual polling where uh, ballots are cast and you're talking about real individuals. So while it might be encouraging to those on the right, it may not be accurate when it comes to actually casting a vote. From another story on Axios, uh, Democrats talk about climate change, but dismiss the fact that many Latinos work in lucrative oil field jobs in New Mexico and West Texas. Uh, Talk about diversity, but by pleasing white progressives, they push out moderate Hispanic candidates, end quote. One perspective on the subject. Well, the president's big border success, growing the uh, population of uh, aliens in the country illegally living in the U.S., has been the Biden administration's de facto immigration policy goal, irrespective of claims to the contrary and the latest numbers from U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. ICE indicate that it has been highly successful, even as the number of migrants Caught illegally crossing the U.S. southern border has hit record highs. The number of ICE arrests and deportations has steadily decreased. In fiscal year 2021, ICE arrested 74,082 and deported 59,011. The year prior, 103,603 arrests were made, while 185,884 non-citizens were deported. Team Biden's official reason for the significant drop is that we're focusing on what we consider quality arrests. Quality arrests. Yet that explanation appears dubious, as just 2,718 deportees from 2021 were known or suspected gang members, whereas the year prior, those with suspected gang ties uh, was nearly double at 4,276, and in 2019, 5,500 was the number. Well, black students charged with hate crimes for assaulting a white student in Broward County, Florida. Five black middle-aged, middle school-aged students, they're middle school age and they're involved in this kind of violent behavior, have been charged with hate crimes following their attack on several white students. Police say the victims um, were racially profiled. Now, why wouldn't they be? If you have critical race theory, you battle racism with racism, how can you hold these kids responsible when you're telling them precisely they are entitled to do just that? That's my editorial comment. Well, according to the report, as several white students were being dropped off at a reception center, a recreation center near their school, they were approached by some black students who yelled it's opposite day and brown power. One student who was attacked because he is white said that after they jumped me, they said this is like revenge for what they did in the 1700s for slavery. Middle school kid. This is the result of critical race theory being promulgated through American public schools. Students are taught that whiteness is oppressors and minorities, especially blacks, are victims entitled to whatever retaliation apparently they may choose. It's not shocking at all that some students trained to think this way would behave accordingly. Congratulations. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Adidas has gone woke and endorsed men competing in women's sports. In a new advertisement, the Germany uh, sports apparel company, Adidas, endorsed biological men competing against women so long as they identify as women. In the ad, the montage of several male athletes who self-identify as transgender are depicted while a narrator states it's impossible to take hold of the world spotlight overnight. Create your own uniform, be a cover model, a powerful athlete, or compete as a trans woman. 
impossible. No, it's possible, end quote. Well, the feature athlete is Tiffany Abreu, a male Brazilian volleyball player who identifies as female. I play for Brazil and for all trans women, Abreu says. So when you cheer my name, we all win on and off the court. My story is not impossible because I'm possible, clearly execs at Adia. Uh, Adidas, who recently objectified women in a nude ad, that's a whole nother story. These were actual women with actual breasts. I uh, think there's money to be made in pushing the absurd, obscene and false notion that there is no real difference between the sexes. I happen to know there is. Well, American journalist Brent Renaud uh, was shot and killed in Russian uh, by Russian forces in Ukraine. Concern grows over traffickers targeting Ukrainian refugees. Saudi Arabia conducts one of its largest mass executions in years. And according to a new poll, Hispanic voters favor Republican candidates by nine points. Justice Clarence Thomas decried cancel culture and proposals to pack the Supreme Court. And Texas abortion providers have been dealt a critical blow. The Texas Supreme Court on Friday ruled that state licensing officials lack authority to enforce the state's six-week abortion ban, adding a major defeat to abortion providers in their legal challenge to the restrictive law. The unanimous 23-page ruling eliminated the final legal avenue providers had Um, in their uh, bid to obtain a federal court order blocking state officials from enforcing Texas Senate Bill 8, the nation's strictest abortion measure. The ruling effectively determined that the last remaining group of state officials who were named as defendants are beyond the reach of federal courts in in the case. Essentially, since state officials don't enforce the law, there's nobody left to sue. And Amazon has relocated employees from their Seattle office amid a crime spike and fentanyl crisis. Well, on this day in history, 1796, English physician Edward Jenner inoculates an eight-year-old James Phipps against smallpox for using cowpox matter. 1948, according to the current era calendar, the independent state of Israel is proclaimed in Tel Aviv by David Ben-Gurion, who becomes its first prime minister. President Harry S. Truman immediately recognizes the new nation. 1955, representatives from eight communist bloc countries, including the Soviet Union, signed the Warsaw Pact in Poland. The pact would be dissolved in 1991. 1961, freedom riders are attacked by violent mobs in Anniston and Birmingham, Alabama. 1973, the National Rifle, uh, rather, Right to Life Committee is incorporated. Two very different organizations. The uh, 1973, also, the United States launches Skylab 1, its first manned space station. Skylab 1 would remain in orbit for six years before burning up during reentry in 1979. 2001, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled 8-0 to zero that there is no exception in federal law for people to use marijuana for medical purposes. 2009, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi accuses the CIA of misleading her and other lawmakers about the waterboarding of detainees during the Bush administration, disputing Republican charges that she'd been complicit in its use. 2018, Israel and the United States hold a festive inauguration ceremony for the new American embassy in Jerusalem. And finally, and also in 2018, the Supreme Court clears the way for states uh, coast to coast to legalize betting on sports. Well, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is expected to address members of the U.S. Congress on Wednesday Let's hope he survives till Wednesday as Russia continues its multi-front war against Ukraine. 
In a letter to members of Congress on Monday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said the United States and the world are in awe of the people of Ukraine who have shown extraordinary courage, resilience and determination in the face of Russia's unprovoked, vicious and illegal war. And while admiration is certainly merited here, it's insufficient to what they are currently facing. As war rages on in Ukraine, it is with great respect and admiration for the Ukrainian people that we invite all members of the House and Senate to attend a virtual address to the United States Congress delivered by President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine on Wednesday, March 16th, 9 o'clock a.m. The Speaker and uh, Schumer wrote, noting that only members of Congress are invited to attend. Well, Pelosi and Schumer wrote the, that Congress remains unwavering in its commitment to supporting Ukraine as they face Putin's a cruel and diabolical aggression. They also wrote that they are committed to passing legislation to cripple and isolate the Russian economy, as well as to deliver humanitarian security and economic assistance to Ukraine. Well, Zelensky earlier this month spoke on a Zoom video call with more than 280 members of Congress. During that call, he requested more lethal aid, planes and additional sanctions specifically to shut down Russian oil imports. Well, since that call, President Biden announced a ban on all imports of Russian oil, gas and energy to the United States, targeting the main artery of Russia's economy with the uh, President Putin and his war in Ukraine. Well, Congress also passed a spending bill that includes an additional thirteen point six billion dollars in aid to Ukraine. Well, Zelensky, though, has been pleading with the United States and Western allies to implement a no fly zone over Ukraine. As Russia's war against the country continues, President Biden and NATO have ruled out a no-fly zone over Ukraine, although one request came from a NATO member today saying enforcing it would put the U.S. and NATO in direct confrontation with Russia and would expand the conflict. Ukraine is not a member of NATO, so it's not subject to Article 5 provision of the NATO alliance that says when one member country is attacked, all member countries will take action to assist. I'm looking for uh, one story here that um, kind of highlights where uh, Russia is now shopping its oil. India may bail out Russia by taking up an offer to buy crude oil and other commodities at a discount, despite Western attempts to isolate Moscow through sanctions. India imports 80 percent of its oil needs, usually buys only about two to three percent from Russia. But with oil prices up 40 percent so far this year, the government is looking at increasing this if it can help reduce its rising energy bill. Russia is offering oil and other commodities at a heavy discount. We will be happy to take that, an Indian government official said, declining to elaborate on how much oil was on the offer and what discount they would enjoy. The official added that such trade requires uh, perpetu- uh, perpetu- preparatory work, I can read actually, uh, including transportation, insurance uh, cover, and getting the right blend of crude. But once that was done, India would take Russia up on its offer. India is the latest country to offer a sanction-busting lifeline as the Russian um, government is waging war, entering its third week after China lifted wheat import restrictions at the end of February. Imports had been restricted amid concerns over Russia's measures to prevent plant diseases, particularly in agricultural crops. 
Well, neither Beijing nor New Delhi have condemned the invasion in Ukraine and both abstained from a vote at the United Nations calling out Russia's aggression last month. So they have taken their position. Both governments are walking a diplomatic tightrope in order to preserve their vital trade links with Russia, which is now facing serious economic woes after being targeted by sanctions. Meanwhile, the U.K. will send India, the country with its own space program, uh, some 55.3 million pounds in aid and the 2021-22 and from uh, 41.5 million pounds 2020-2021. Well, U.S. officials have said in recent weeks that they would like India to distance itself from Russia as much as possible while recognizing its heavy reliance on Moscow for everything from arms and ammunition to uh, missiles and fighter jets. One person within India's security apparatus said the West understood India's position, given that it needs to keep its arms forces well supplied with simmering territorial disputes with China and, of course, Pakistan. Reuters has reported the Indian officials are trying to set up a rupee-ruble mechanism with Russia to continue bilateral trade. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Matt Berry, winning the heart of your child, nine keys to building a positive lifelong relationship with your kids. We'll also look back eight years and uh, look forward to the Nigerian schoolgirls who were kidnapped. And uh, we'll also review the urgent appeal from Ukrainian Christians, please. Keep praying. All of that coming up in our second hour. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said Russian President Vladimir Putin is frustrated by the slow progress in the invasion of Ukraine in interviews with multiple outlets on Sunday. Well, his comments came after a Russian missile strike on a Ukraine military training base less than 15 miles from Poland, in which at least 35 people were killed. Uh, Sullivan was also asked to respond on air on CNN to reports that an American journalist was killed while covering the conflict. The reports were subsequently confirmed and the journalist identified as Brent Renaud, a 50 year old documentary filmmaker who had worked for The New York Times, Vice and numerous other outlets. He was in the process of uh, producing a, um, a documentary on refugees. If, in fact, an American journalist was killed, he said at the time, it is a shocking and horrifying event. Sullivan said at State of the Union, it's one of the more examples of the brutality of Vladimir Putin and his forces. Well, host Dana Bash also asked Sullivan about the strike on the military training base, noting its proximity to NATO member Poland. What it shows is that Vladimir Putin is frustrated by the fact that his forces are not making the kind of progress that he thought they would make against major cities, including Kiev. Sullivan responded. He also added that Putin is now lashing out and trying to cause damage in every part of the country. And while there are no U.S. troops stationed in Ukraine, Sullivan repeated President Biden's pledge to defend every inch of NATO territory. Well, Russians invasion of one of the world's leading bread baskets, Ukraine is deepening the worst surge in global food prices since the Great Recession. Raising the specter that Moscow's war could spark crisis level hikes, inflame the scourge of world hunger and spark political turmoil far beyond beyond the conflict zone. 
Well, since the Russian assault began, countries from Hungary to Indonesia have moved to to bar the uh, door to exports, corralling grains and cooking oil to feed their own and risking a round of trade protectionism that could deepen global supply and price woes. Around the world, food prices were already rising fast amid supply chain disruptions and pandemic-era inflation. But some prices, especially wheat, a basic source of sustenance in many countries, have shot through the roof because of the Ukraine crisis, upending calculations of the world's available food supply and leading to the rationing of flour in parts of the Middle East. Altogether, Ukraine and Russia account for nearly 30 percent of wheat, 17 percent of corn, and over half of sunflower seed oil exports. The conflict induced bottlenecks at the Black Sea ports where cargo vessels have been struck by Russian rockets and other complications of war have slammed Ukrainian exports. Boycotts of Russian uh, ports by shipping companies and the um, knock on efforts to uh, sanction have also disrupted the flow of foods and feeds from Russia, creating a problem that could grow as the Kremlin now threatens to impose export controls on some food commodities. Well, as bad as it is, a key wheat future surged 70 percent over the past month. The situation is poised to get worse. A new report by the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations due out um, Friday estimates that food and feed prices could surge 7 percent to 22 percent above already elevated levels due to the war. So if you're Uh, Finding yourself bored and unsure about what to pray about and for, here's some things that you might include on your laundry list. Well, Estonia is the first NATO member nation to have a body formally call for the implementation of a no-fly zone amid Russia's war on Ukraine. As you know, Ukraine has begged for one from the very beginning. Estonia is the first NATO nation uh, to uh, actually suggest a no-fly zone is in order. Well, the Parliament of Estonia on Monday called for the UN member states to take immediate steps to establish a no-fly zone over Ukraine to prevent further civilian casualties as the multi-front war against the country rages on. Estonia is the first member nation to have a body formally call for the implementation of a no-fly zone with the ongoing invasion. The Parliament of Estonia expresses its support to the defenders and the people of the state of Ukraine in their fight against the Russian Federation that has launched a criminal war and calls on showing absolute support to Ukraine in its war for maintaining its freedom, sovereignty and territorial integrity. Estonia's parliament said in the statement earlier today, Estonia's parliament said it underlines that Russia's unprovoked aggression and military activities constitute a crime against peace with no statute of limitations and that all war crimes that have been committed will have to be punished. The um, the parliament asked the U.N. member states to make immediate steps to establish a no-fly zone in order to prevent massive civilian casualties in Ukraine. The body stated that uh, the parliament urges all national parliaments to adopt statements that call on their governments to support the imposition of additional sanctions against the Russian Federation, as well as the Republic of Belarus that uh, participates in that aggression. Estonia's parliament also called for the immediate imposition of comprehensive trade embargo on the Russian Federation and the Republic of Belarus, which would restrict the capability of the aggressor states to wage war. It's not likely that will go much further than the statement made by that parliament, but it will be interesting to see if others follow suit. Well, there are a number of reasons why the uh, nuclear deal that's currently being negotiated on our behalf by Russia to empower and embolden Iran 
Um, there are lots of reasons why returning to that nuclear deal is a bad idea. Ukraine isn't the only foreign policy crisis the U.S. is facing. After months of negotiations, the administration may be on the verge of restoring the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, a.k.a. the Iran nuclear deal, with no chance of replacing it with a longer and stronger deal, as the administration promised. Doing so is a really bad idea. You might recall back in 2015, the Obama-era agreement with the Iranian regime is seriously flawed at that time, and returning to it will, at best, only postpone but not end Tehran's potential nuclear threat to the United States, its allies and partners, including Israel. Well, the Trump White House rightfully left the agreement in 2018 due to its many serious shortcomings, but... We apparently need to remind ourselves and the administration of those flaws once again before the die is cast. And by all accounts, it's nearly cast. One is the sunset provision or provisions, plural. The Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action didn't end Tehran's nuclear program. It only slowed it down. The pact was more of a speed bump than a stop sign. A striking example is that most major restrictions on uranium enrichment, the key process used in making weapons, um, begin to sunset or expire after 2025 and permit Tehran to expand enrichment to an industrial scale after 2030. Well, that essentially means that under the deal, Iran would eventually be free to produce more bomb making material more quickly, which would facilitate a nuclear breakout or sneak out, as they refer to it. Also, ballistic missiles. The Iran nuclear deal also didn't capture Tehran's determined development of the ballistic missiles, which are, by the way, a perfect delivery vehicle for a nuclear weapon. Tehran currently has the largest ballistic missile arsenal in the Middle East and its so-called civilian space program, which could support the building of intercontinental range military uh, missiles capable of reaching the United States is very active. Three, inspection. The Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action strangely doesn't allow for any time, anywhere inspections. Essentially, International Atomic Energy Agency inspectors aren't allowed to visit undeclared facilities without permission. And who grants that permission? Well, the potential offender. On top of that, Tehran has put its military base off limits to inspections, which clearly improves their ability to hide any nuclear work that violates the agreement. And considering their record of denial and deception on nuclear matters over the years, this is deeply unsettling and no way to verify Iran's compliance with the deal. Finally, possible military dimensions. As part of the nuclear deal, Iran was supposed to reveal to the International Atomic Agency all military aspects of its earlier nuclear weapons work in order to facilitate oversight of that pact. Well, not surprisingly, Tehran hasn't cooperated on that issue. Of course, thanks to Israel's exfiltration of secret Iranian nuclear documents from Tehran, we now know Iran planned to build five nuclear weapons for delivery by ballistic missile. So it's clear that Iran must be transparent on this issue. Well, indeed, why should we believe that uh, Iran's nuclear aspirations have changed one iota, considering its ongoing anti-American, anti-Israel views and its desire for hegemony over its Arab neighbors in the Middle East? And though not part of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, one misguided exception of the uh, Obama administration was that the nuclear agreement would moderate Iran's belligerent behavior by reducing its international isolation and increasing its international engagement. But sadly, it hasn't. At this point, it doesn't look like um, the Biden administration 
Uh, it's going to produce the longer and stronger deal as the goal that it talked about earlier with Iran and talked with the American people, a deal that would strengthen restrictions on Iran's bomb-making enrichment and ballistic missile capabilities, lengthen the agreement, and tighten verification. Considering the regime's ambitions and their behavior, preventing them from getting a nuclear weapon is a national security imperative. But Team Biden's failure to seize this historic opportunity to diplomatically redress the shortcomings of the original deal could make a nuclear Iran inevitable. And sadly, that seems to be where we are um, inexorably headed. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming here at the top of the hour. Matt Berry will join us in the second hour, winning the heart of your child. Nine keys to building a positive lifelong relationship with your kids. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Coming up this hour, we'll hear from Matt Berry, author of Winning the Heart of Your Child, Nine Keys to Building a Positive Lifelong Relationship with Your Kid. And we'll catch up with the uh, uh, Nigerian girls who eight years ago were kidnapped. Some escaped, some lost their lives, some still in captivity. But we'll let you know how they dealt with the very tragic set of circumstances they found themselves in. We'll also look at the urgent appeal from Ukrainian Christians. Please keep praying. That's what they're asking of us. Well, Israeli government websites uh, crashed on Tuesday following an alleged cyber attack. Multiple outlets reported several government websites were inaccessible, including sites for the ministries of health, interior and the foreign ministry. The sites crashed due to a cyber attack, according to sources. Israeli National Cyber Directorate uh, declared a state of emergency while the attack is being investigated. The strike was the largest cyber attack ever carried out against Israel, according to a senior defense official. Communications minister said that the, his office is dealing with the issue. The suspect attacked a uh, suspected attack comes from the Iran Revolutionary Guard Corps, claiming responsibility for a ballistic missile attack in Erbil, Iraq. Missiles struck near the U.S. consulate in that city, although the IRGC said it was targeting Israeli strategic centers. Well, the missile attack came days after two IRGC officers were killed in an alleged Israeli airstrike in Syria. Well, the Chinese Communist Party announced this week it's going to increase the budget for the People's Liberation Army by 7.1 percent. That announcement occurred at the opening session of the National People's Congress. It's the National Rubber Stamp Parliament. Thus, it's just a matter of time before an extra resources start uh, flowing into the uh, People's Liberation Army. Well, this increase continues the trend of sustained increase in the Chinese military budget. Since 2018, the Communist Party has increased the People's Liberation Army budget by over 28 percent, with consecutive annual increases of between 8.1 and 6.6 percent. Well, contrast this with the U.S. defense budget, which grew little under 5 percent from 2018 to 2021. If you take inflation into account, the U.S. defense budget has decreased by 3 percent in those four years. One of the party's favorite propaganda vehicles, the Global Times, reported uh, that the proposed defense budget would mark the single-digit growth from seven consecutive years since 2016 and also a return to a 7-plus percent increase. Well, the, the uh, return to an above 7 percent increase comes after successive years of double-digit growth, ranging from 10.7 percent to 13 percent in the earlier part of the 2010s, 
Also, the People's Liberation Army is able to get more bang for its buck. And just one example, the Chinese labor costs are substantially lower than American labor costs, enabling them to field a bigger force while spending less. Additionally, China can impose its defense costs on its state-owned companies, shielding the People's Liberation Army budget from these expenses. By any measure, the Chinese Communist Party has been steadily modernizing and investing in its armed forces with the overall goal of having a fully mechanized and informatized military by 2027. And it's not certainly just for show. Well, facing yet another artificial self-imposed government funding deadline, congressional leaders released a $1.5 trillion omnibus spending bill with the intent of jamming it through Congress and into law in just a few days with as little transparent and public debate as possible. It's 2,700 pages long. The omnibus spending bill is uh, presented as a false choice. Either support this massive, expensive package and everything in it or suffer the political consequence of a partial government shutdown. Well, through one manufactured crisis after another, the cycle of omnibus spending bills is, in one way, um, congressional leadership uh, exerting its dominance over the legislative process at the expense of members who represent the majority of the American people. Well, this is just another way in which the federal government is not held accountable to the American people. And, of course, this is not the only option available to lawmakers. There's no need to rush through 2,700 pages in this omnibus bill with little public review or debate. Well, Congress has already enacted three continuing resolutions this fiscal year, with at least one more expected. And it could, of course, consider legislative priorities that have bipartisan support, such as supporting our national defense in an open and transparent way. But that's not the way it's going to be done. On another day, when we have more time, we'll go through some of the uh, weaker, finer points of that legislation. Well, the majority of U.S. workers who changed jobs during the Great Resignation, as it's now been called, actually regret quitting and even feel a sense of buyer's remorse, according to a new survey. Eighty percent of millennials, Generation Z workers, say it's okay to leave a new job in six months. But there's some regret. Seven out of ten workers, about 72 percent, admitted that they were surprised to learn that their new roles or companies were different from what they were led to believe during the interview process, according to the survey of millennials and Gen Z job seekers. The Muse uh, is the, the conductor of the survey. The CEO there described the trend as shift shock. Uh, they'll join a new company thinking it's their dream job. And then there's a reality check. Uh, well, she explained that in some cases, job seekers don't ask the right questions during an interview process. Other times, it's because a recruiter misrepresented the role or was overly optimistic about the company in an effort to well get them to join. In fairness, she acknowledged that it's uh, hard to assess the culture of a new company through Zoom. Prior to the pandemic, candidates would generally be able to visit the office, ultimately allowing them to better gauge the company's culture. Regardless, it's uh, uh, this reality... Uh, is damaging uh, to these young people. It's a phenomenon where people um, are brand new in their role and they suddenly realize it's not all that it was advertised to be. As a result, she says more people are quitting rather than sticking it out. So quitting once, now quitting again. It used to be that if you started a new job and didn't like it, you needed to stay for one to two years to avoid um, the mark on your resume. But we've seen this really uh, interesting shift in perception. 
About 80% of millennials and Gen Z workers say it's okay to leave a new job in six months if it's not as advertised. About one in five job seekers even admitted they would quit within a month if it's not expected, as expected rather. And 41% say they would give in between two to six weeks, or excuse me, two to six months, just under half the job seekers. 48% would actually try to get their their uh, old job back, according to the data. And these days, that might be a possibility. want to mention that there's an explosive documentary, Whose Children Are They?, being released in theaters nationwide tonight. Parents and teachers are awakening to a destructive agenda that's been lurking in America's schools. And this uh, documentary slated to release nationwide today through Fathom Events, Whose Children Are They?, features brave teachers, emboldened parents, impacted students, and frontline experts who show how schools are sexualizing children, indoctrinating them into radical ideologies without their parents' knowledge or consent. Produced by an all-star production team, the new documentary reveals exactly how dangerous schools have become and what parents and taxpaying citizens can do about it. Check your local listings in theaters nationwide today. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, Matt Berry, winning the heart of your child. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. My next guest is the author of Winning the Heart of Your Child. And in the 21st century, that may seem almost impossible. There's so many bells and whistles competing for their attention and uh, to influence But this book is for hopeful and expectant parents um, that don't dream of having bored, detached, defiant children any more than they desire their kids to have minds and moods and beliefs that can bring them to their knees. Well, in this book, Winning the Heart of Your Child, uh, Mike Berry offers keys to building a positive lifelong relationship with kids. Uh, the book um, really helps parents who desire a stronger connection with their child's Uh, to navigate specific issues like discipline, boundaries, making the most of their time, which passes so quickly with their children. Winning the Heart of Your Child illustrates the great misunderstanding most parents across society have when it comes to their influence in their child's lives and gives those feeling invisible and ineffective the motivation and strength to maximize their influence and win their child's heart. Well, the author is a former youth and family pastor and the father of eight. He zeroes in on the unique role parents play in their child's lives. Well, Mike Berry is the co-founder, along with his wife, Kirsten, or Kristen, rather, of the award-winning parenting blog, Confessions of an Adoptive Parent, and the support and resource site, Oasis Community. He is a featured writer and influencer for Disney website, um, Babbel.com, and his work has also been featured on Yahoo Parenting, The Good Men Project, The Huffington Post, Right Now Media, Michael Hyatt's Platform University, Great Big Story, Focus on the Family Radio, Moody Radio, Disney, and Jeff Goins' uh, Tribe Writers Conference. I'm tired just uh, reading through them. Uh, he travels all across the country extensively throughout the years to camps, retreats, and conferences before becoming a full-time author and speaker. He spent 17 years in family life ministry in churches in Ohio and in Indiana. We are just delighted to have uh, uh, Mike Berry with us today to talk about his book, Winning the Heart of Your Child, Nine Keys to Building a Positive, Lifelong Relationship with your kids. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you for having me on. It's great to be with you. Now, making every single moment matter is uh, certainly the challenge. You begin in the introduction recalling when you had your first child and um, the challenge of just bringing that child home. I think you said you were uh, pretty much astonished for the first 
uh, short period of time, but how quickly time passes. And there's so much that's required of parents, especially when their kids are, are moved away from the home and into a public school setting or a school setting where there are all kinds of uh, influences. Is it possible to make every moment matter? Is it possible for parents to win the heart of their child with the time that they've been given? Well, I believe that there is. And I, I think it, it really comes down to um, being aware of how quickly time goes and how uh, you know, when you when you hold that brand new baby girl or baby boy in your hand in your arms, you're told, "Wow, be careful! This time's going to go fast." And you know, oftentimes we we don't think time is going as fast as it is. And then when you're aware that time is moving quickly and that you need to seize those opportunities and really know what's important, what what is of highest value, uh, and that is a, a, establishing that that strong relationship with your child, that loving relationship with your child. I think that is possible when you are aware of that right from the get-go. Now, as a parent, I suppose it's important to have a long view. In fact, you begin with the first chapter, um, uh, making the point, winning the argument but losing the heart. A parent with a long view recognizes that there's a goal in mind that won't be complete for, for quite some time. Talk about the, the challenge of um, winning a child's heart as opposed to necessarily winning every argument for the sake of the development of that child and extending one's influence? Yeah, I, I think the the curse that we have as parents is that we, uh, and it's probably uh, has to do with the way most of us were raised. Uh, we were raised in households, I know I was, where um, mom and dad had the last word. And oftentimes that was delivered harshly and it was very commanding and you didn't, you didn't uh, fight back. But I remember growing up, feeling like, like, wow, mom and dad, I, I just, I just wanted to express, you know, a little of what I was thinking. And I, I probably wasn't, I probably wouldn't have said it that way as a teenager, mind you. But um, I think that oftentimes we are so concerned with having the last word and making sure that we drive the point home that we miss out on those valuable relational moments where um, we can engage in conversation. Now, we still have to maintain discipline. We still have to maintain mm-hmm. boundaries. But oftentimes, I think we, we spend a lot of time uh, walking over our children instead of walking with our children. And, um, you know, that our children inherently learn to not speak up, not express themselves, not, not uh, converse with us. Uh, and that's really the point in that, in that opening chapter um, that I, I wanted to deliver that, you know, we can – we can win the argument. I mean, we have the power to do so, but what are we, what are we losing in the process? It's something far greater than we realize. Well, in fact, the subtitle of your book is Building a Positive Lifelong Relationship with Your Kids Who Will Not Always Be Kids and Having That Longevity and Influence Throughout the Life of a Child Who Becomes a Young Adult, Who Becomes a, an Adult and Ultimately May Become a Parent. That's the challenge of, of parenting. Let's talk about what it means to win the heart of your child. There are lots of battles, ups and downs, things that will uh, challenge your parenting. But what does it look like when you've won the heart of your child? You know, I think that it, well, first of all, I would say that, that if a parent who is parenting a junior high child or a high school child, if they are, are looking for the results right now and they're not seeing those results of, of uh, you know, living out the keys that I talk about in the book or seizing every moment or targeting or focusing on the heart, that's, that's fairly normal. 
because right now you're in a season where your job is to parent, your job is to invest in, your job is to stay the course, stay engaged. I think that winning the heart of your child really has to do with the long term. It's like an investment account. You know, um, when you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, for that matter, you know, your your retirement account is not going to pay out the dividends it will it does it will like it will when when you're in your 60s you know when the the account has matured well it's very very similar in a relationship with our children we invest through those uh elementary those adolescent years the elementary years the child, early childhood years we invest 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 we stay engaged we seize every moment we maintain boundaries and then when we've stayed the course and when we've focused on being an influential parent then in the future we we see the dividends pay out and that is you enjoy this adult relationship with your child uh, and that's someday so it's it's a it's a matter of staying the course and staying patient and knowing that there's going to be lots of ups and downs there's going to be lots of mountaintops there's going to be lots of valleys probably more valleys mm-hmm. than mountaintop experiences but you must stay the course you must stay engaged especially in those teenage years that's critical uh, even when it's dark, even when it feels like they're not listening to you, they don't care what you have to say, you still have a voice of influence in their life. You need to believe that. And then someday you enjoy the, the, the fruits of what you invested in those adolescent years, but that's someday. And I believe that's what it looks like to win your child's heart. Well, and that's a real challenge to keep that long view in mind when you're facing a kid who's just done something mm-hmm. really frustrating and you, the temptation yeah. is to blow it all in one event. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you um, divide the book up into three sections, and the first is called The Great Misunderstanding. What is it that parents tend to misunderstand that may ultimately undermine their influence? Well, I think that the, the, the biggest thing is we, we think – that our role falls somewhere between being a best friend or being all the way to the other extreme, which is being like a drill sergeant, like a commander, a general. Uh, I think that we have this view that, that we have to be in charge we ha- or, or we have to, uh, we get fixated on the ideal, the, the idealistic uh, picture of a family, kind of like the Gilmore girls I actually use that example in the book, you know, the mm-hmm. this dreamy mother daughter relationship, you know, that, where, you know, everybody just has like this, this, oh, it's, it's so loving. And yeah, there's some issues every now and then, but we wrap them up in a half hour and everything's hunky dory. <laughs> um, you know, from that all the way to the BFF, the buddy, the elf, like, Hey, I'm your friend. I'm, I'm I, whatever, whatever you want to do is cool with me. Right. Um, and I, I think that we fall into the trap of feeling like we have to be one of those extremes. We have to be this commander who's in charge, or we have to be this, this um, passive parent who lets our kid do whatever they want, and that will, that will win their heart. That will help you build a relationship with them. But I think we miss the point if we're giving into that. That's kind of what we see in culture all the time. But I talk about how there's another parenting approach, and that's the influential parent. That's the parent that is able to balance love and discipline. That's the parent that is able to establish boundaries that are built in love, um, that doesn't give in to fear because we're we're filled with fear in this culture, uh, especially as parents. And with technology changing every single second, it, rightfully so, right? But I think the great misunderstanding is that we feel like we feel like we have no voice, and then we try to overcompensate by either being really controlling or really passive, 
And we misunderstand that there's a better approach, and that is leveraging our time, um, maintaining love, staying engaged, becoming a parent of influence. We're going to continue our conversation, but I do need to take a quick break. We're talking with Mike Berry. He's the author of Winning the Heart of Your Child, Nine Keys to Building a Positive, Lifelong Relationship with Your Kids. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. I'm continuing my conversation with Mike Berry, co-founder, along with his wife, Kristen, of the award-winning parenting blog, Confessions of an Adoptive Parent, and the support and resource site, Oasis Community. He joins us today to talk about his book, Winning the Heart of Your Child, Nine Keys to Building Positive Lifelong Relationship with Your Kids. Well, let's talk about uh, these keys to building a positive, lifelong relationship with, uh, with kids. I think every parent aspires to just that, a lifelong relationship that's positive and their influence continues uh, through adulthood. Where do parents need to begin? What are some of these uh, keys? Well, first of all, let me say it's not easy. Uh, it's, and it's not just a, uh, I would not even say it's not even just to read a book and, and you're, mm-hmm. you've got it. It's, it's reading the book it's, and it's, it's applying the principles. Um, you know, I really think that I, I would actually begin with key one. You know, I, I would say if a parent, a parent in a starting place, let's take the parent of a newborn. We have a lot. We have a, actually had a lot of parents who ha- are raising little kids like early childhood who have picked this book up, um, which the target audience is more for parents of teenagers. But I think it's valuable that they do that because in the very first key, I talk about blending love and discipline for influence. I can't tell you how many times I've in my uh, family life, pastor career, I sat with parents of 12, 13, 14 year olds, or even beyond that, who would look at me and say, I don't know what to do with this child. They're completely out of control. This wasn't the way they were when they were little. And now they're out of control. I don't know what to do. And the more questions I asked, the more it became clear that in those early childhood years, they were very passive. Um, they were they were very very loving, which is great. Is they need to be nurturing, but they they didn't have a healthy balance of discipline. They didn't know how to tell their child no. They didn't know how to say this is the boundary. And then as their child grew older, that became less and less and less. So I think that for a parent of in, in the early childhood years, you need to begin with that very first key, and that is blending love and discipline. Um, you have to achieve that balance. Um, for parents beyond that, um, I go right into that in key number two, uh, that understanding and embracing the shift that there are going to be some years where you feel like your influence has dipped uh, in significance, where you feel like your voice is not as significant as it was when they were younger. But it is. You're still a, a key voice of influence. You're just not the only voice of influence. And mm-hmm. so in those teenage years, it's critical that you amplify other voices, other caring adults who can speak into your child's life, a small group leader, a coach, a teacher, um, a family friend, uh, providing that they're health, healthy and safe. Um, but you need to be okay not being that number one voice of influence anymore. You're going to take a dip for a while in, in influence, um, culture, friendships, uh, the world around them. These, these, uh, these children now are becoming little adults, many adults, and they're seeing this world brand new around them. You know, they're experiencing it for the first time. You need to maintain discipline and boundaries through that. That's just, that's not an, that's not an invitation to be passive. 
You need to be engaged. But I, th- I would say to begin, a parent needs to begin with keys one and two. If you're in early childhood years, key one. If you're in the teenage years, key two is for you. Now, interestingly, the third key is one that might be somewhat surprising. And you suggest that parents need to amplify other voices of influence. They're already competing with a, a wider audience. Um, explain what you mean by that and why that can be important in helping a parents maintain their influence. Yeah, absolutely. One of the greatest gifts that my wife, Kristen, and I feel like we have been given is the understanding um, early on that there, there are other people who love our children and they are partners with us in this parenting gig. So while I may look at my child, my teenager, and say, and, and, and say something that's guiding them or instructing them or leading them, and they may look at me and roll their eyes, then they go to small group that night at church or they, they hang out with uh, uh, you know, a, a favorite aunt or uncle or one of our best friends, and that person, an adult, speaks the same truth into their life, and they get it. Some parents may be intimidated by that. But my challenge is don't be intimidated by that. That's an incredible gift that you have as a parent. When you have a wider circle of, of, of adults speaking the same truth that you are into your child's life, that is a huge win. Um, so amplifying other voices is all about widening your circle of influence, celebrating the fact that your child is in a small group at their church, at your church, that they have a small group leader, a caring adult leader speaking into their life. Celebrate the fact that there's a teacher who cares about your child's life, and they're saying the same things you're saying, and they may click. Those, the things that they're saying may be the same things that you say, and you may have the tendency to say, well, wait a second, we, we say the same thing. But yet a teacher said it or a coach said it the same way, and it clicked. That is a win. That's amplifying other voices of influence, and that is one of the greatest gifts that parents, particularly of teenagers, can have. Among the keys you write, use your time wisely, stay involved with your kids, commit to consistency, which can be very challenging, and love no matter what. Now, the challenge is if a child starts to stray, uh, you use your love as something of a weapon or leverage, um, but you suggest that loving no matter what is absolutely essential if you're going to have uh, influence throughout the life of your child. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I've sat with so many parents over the years who, um, who, whose children uh, were carving their own path, um, you know, growing into adulthood, uh, maybe even growing into the later teen years. And the, in some circumstances, the choices weren't healthy. And that was, that's, that's one topic. But on the other side of it, the child was becoming their own person. And the, the parent, what I had to coach the parent through was you need to broaden your perspective on this child's life. And if you love them, you need to celebrate the person they're becoming. So that child may be into thrash or metal music, <laughs> you know, providing they're not making like, you know, dangerous decisions with their life. If that's the kind of music they choose and it's not what you're into, you still need to celebrate who they are. Right. And that may be, that's one example I could give you. Right. But, uh, you know, loving them no matter what, loving them for who they are is about, is about celebrating the person they're becoming, even if, even if it's not what you are into or even understand. 
you know, my teenage daughters are into um, YouTubers uh, and they're into, um, you know, following these YouTubers that are making millions and have millions of followers. I, I don't get it. I don't get it because I'm from Generation X and we worked hard. <laughs> we, we worked hard for what we have, right? And same with baby boomer generation. I don't get it, right? But when my daughter calls me in because she wants to show me a funny video that a YouTuber posted, I celebrate it. I celebrate it. In my mind, I may be thinking that is the silliest thing I've ever laid eyes on. But I celebrate the fact that she loves that, that that, that brings her delight. I think that we need to uh, meet our children in that space. Uh, we need to um, uh, celebrate who they are before we jump to correcting them mm. because they're not like us. Yeah, yeah. Well, the other keys are um, listening to what is true about you, parents taking an honest look at themselves and leaving a lasting mm-hmm. legacy. There's so much more in the book to winning the heart of your child, nine keys to building a positive lifelong relationship with your kids. Mike Berry, thank you so much for your time and thank you for the book. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on tonight. You are so welcome. Again, the book is uh, published by Baker Books and is available in bookstores. Much more detail than our time would reflect, but a good resource to help you kind of think through uh, that process of child raising. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Want to give you a quick heads up tomorrow on the program. I'll be joined in studio by Africa New Life. Their child sponsorship program will be the subject of our conversation and an opportunity for you to come alongside students in a small area of Rwanda, which is itself a small country, to help provide what these children need to continue their or begin their education. That's coming up tomorrow on the Georgine Rice Show. Again, Africa New Life. On Wednesday, Amber Leah will join me. She is the author of Food Triggers, Exchanging Unhealthy Patterns for God-Honoring Habits. That's coming up on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, Andrew Farley, The Grace Message, Is the Gospel Really This Good? That's coming up on Thursday. And then on Friday, we'll do what we do on Fridays. We'll look at the hard news, the lighter side of the news, and share this week's Christian outlook. So that's uh, what's coming up later this week. Well, John Stone Street, along with Casey Leander, pointed out that the Nigerian schoolgirls who were kidnapped some years ago, in fact, it was eight years ago, have a story to tell. And he begins by reminding us of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. He exhorted believers there to live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. How Paul goes on to describe that kind of life lived is a, a bit unnerving, especially in a letter supposedly about finding a life of joy. Well, such a life, Paul wrote, involves striving side by side for the faith, contending, if you will, for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. Now, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. End quote. Now, some of us like to gloss over that part of it, believing, well, it's the 21st century. We're in America. That's probably not going to happen. But Jesus' word is certain. Most of us cannot imagine living out those words, but the Nigerian schoolgirls who were kidnapped almost eight years ago by Nigerian terrorist group Boko Haram can. Well, now in their early 20s, these young girls are young women. Their stories are documented in a new book. It's titled Bring Back Our Girls, The Untold Story of the Global Search for Nigeria's Missing Schoolgirls. The book is published by Joe Parkinson and Drew Henshaw. The nightmare started one night. April 14th, 
2014, when armed members of the terrorist group descended on the majority Christian town of Chibok, firing their weapons, looking for food supplies and a new brick maker. Well, after forcing the 276 teenage girls out of their beds, they eventually decided to keep them as captives. They burned the school to the ground before disappearing into Nigeria's rugged, rugged northeast, uh, northern scrubland, rather. Well, what followed was a multinational search and a viral social media campaign known as hashtag bring back our girls. Well, unfortunately, it had limited immediate effect. For one thing, Boko Haram was not scanning the Internet. The girls, most of whom were Christian, were at the mercy of their captors. And while the Muslim classmates were forced to marry Boko Haram fighters, the Christian schoolgirls faced a brutal choice. They could convert to Islam and likewise be forced into marriage, or they could refuse and endure every imaginable form of forced labor, assault, and deprivation. For the girls, the answer was clear. Now, keep in mind, we're talking about teenage girls. They would not submit. Anything that happens, happens, they told each other. Pretty impressive. Well, kept at near starvation levels, forced into back-breaking labor over the next three years, the girls remained strong in their faith. Um, Parkinson and Hinshaw described their courage in this way, again, from their book. At the risk of beatings and torture, they whispered prayers together at night or into cups of water and memorized the book of Job from a smuggled Bible. Into secret diaries, they copied Luke 4 because they saw themselves in Mary's ordeal of giving birth to Jesus. They transcribed paraphrases of Psalms in loopy teenage handwriting. Oh, my God, I keep calling by day and you do not answer and by night and there is no silence on my part. As we interviewed some 20 of these young women, the authors point out, Parkinson and Hinshaw say, we discovered something that much of the foreign coverage had missed. We saw clearly how the teenagers' will to survive was inseparable from their religious convictions. Similar convictions are being tested in other parts of Nigeria as well. To this day, the regular murder, abduction and violence meted out towards Christians by Boko Haram and militant Fulani herdsmen is made worse by the complicity of the government and silence of much of the world. The result is what some have called Nigeria's silent slaughter. The Red Cross estimates that more than 24,000 Nigerians are registered as missing the most of any country. Now, most of our attention now is focused on what's happening in Ukraine, and rightly so. We focus on the tragedy that's unfolding there. This has been in Nigeria an unfolding tragedy for many, many, many years. There are no, there's no footage of what's happening. We just hear the stories when they're told. Well, in the case of the Chibok girls, 163 either escaped or were eventually released. At least 13 died in captivity. Nearly 100 remain unaccounted for. According to the authors, their story holds a surprising but important lesson for Africa's most populous nation. At times, it could be easy to adopt the facile hope that Nigeria's problems might be resolved by gradually secularizing and its more than 210 million people. Yet we found a different perspective in a group of young women who had forced unimaginable hardship, rather faced unimaginable hardship and survived. Their faith provided twin anchors of identity and hope during a period when their captors were trying to erase both. It became the language of their resistance. Well, in the tradition of so many who went before them, who were granted not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for his sake, the Chibok schoolgirls held on to faith and in so doing uh, found life and hope where there was seemingly none. As you're praying for Ukraine, pray for Nigeria and the thousands of Christians suffering for Christ there. 
They're not just in the midst of a, a war. They're suffering specifically because they are followers of Jesus. Meanwhile, there's been an, an urgent appeal from Ukrainian Christians asking, please keep praying. Please keep praying. Writes one uh, op-ed uh, contributor around 7 a.m. on March the 2nd, a handful of people gathered in Freedom Square and the heart of Kharkiv, Ukraine's second largest city. They knelt on the cold ground to pray for peace, just as they had done every day since the war in Ukraine began. Less than an hour later, a deadly rocket hit that same square. I'm humbled by the faith of these Ukrainian Christians who risked their lives to pray together. I try to imagine what it would be like for my own city of Philadelphia to be under siege. Tanks rolling down Broad Street, apartment complexes, an old city gutted by missiles, children falling asleep on our subway stations to the uh, wail of air raid si- uh, sirens. Would I dare to pray out in open? One local pastor reports, He's been coming to the square of uh, in Kharkiv since the prayer group began. I believe that common prayer is the most powerful weapon, he said. One of our colleagues from the Ukrainian Bible Society quoting, Prayer is our weapon, but it is not a weapon that kills and destroys. Instead, it is a weapon against fear, despair, and darkness. It is a weapon that the Ukrainian church has wielded with great faith as they serve their people. And it is a weapon that Christians around the world can take up as we support our brothers and sisters. Pray for Nigeria. Pray for Ukraine. Once again, coming up on tomorrow's program, I'll be joined in studio by Hope Hamilton, and our focus will be Africa New Life. They have an opportunity for us to come alongside students who've waited two years, the pandemic postponing the project that they had hoped to uh, implement some two years ago from attending school. So join us, learn more about it and how you can sponsor a child. That's coming up tomorrow on the Georgine Rice Show. Want to thank uh, James Blinds for producing today's program, Sam Moppin for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.